My name is Chris. If I've not had the pleasure of meeting you, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to dive into God's Word with you now. There's a Discovery TV series called Deadliest Catch. Uh, Maybe you've seen it in it. um, A documentary crew follows and films several fishing crews of, of king crab fishermen while they are at work on the brutal Bering Sea of Alaska. King crab fishing is one of the most dangerous jobs in the world, hence the title, Deadliest Catch. Um, But on the show, uh, when a new fisherman joins a crew, he's referred to, of course, as a greenhorn, and he's lectured backwards and forwards by the ship's captain about how to fish and how to stand firm when the boat enters the chaotic open ocean. But the schooling for the greenhorn doesn't end there because there's a, there's a lot at stake. I mean, lives are at stake every day when on board out in the Bering Sea. And so after the verbal lesson comes the equally, if not more important, visual lesson. When the captain of the boat says to the greenhorn, if you want to come out of this season alive, Keep your eyes on that fisherman right there. He is seasoned and experienced and trustworthy. Do what he does. When he gets low, you get low. When he makes his way to the bow, you make your way to the bow. And Greenhorn, listen, even when everything seems well and the sea seems calm, do what he does. Watch and imitate. And that is precisely, that message, watch and imitate, is precisely what the Apostle Paul urges the Philippian Christians to do in our passage today. Because as we've learned so far in this letter, the Philippians are in dangerous water, right? They're They're dealing with internal conflict amongst themselves, external persecution. They're facing the legalistic pressures from some visiting Jews. And if that weren't all enough, they are constantly surrounded by the enchanting comforts and privileges of living in a well-to-do Roman colony. Their attention is constantly being vied for. Their allegiance So each of us should be able to relate with one or more of these challenges, the the internal conflict that, that happens when disagreements arise within the church, the external conflict of simply, in today's day, being a Christ follower in a in a in a fallen world. It's been an issue for since the church was born. Are the legalistic temptations to earn our way into God's favor? Or we might even be able to relate with, with one of the last challenges that the Philippians are currently walking through. And I might, in fact, I'm going to step on some toes, being that it's the 4th of July. But the enchanting comforts and privileges that are constantly vying for our attention and our allegiance as citizens of America. So each of us ought to relate in some way with the Philippians and the challenges they are experiencing. And now, let's listen to God's warning. 
Let's listen to God's words through the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, going through chapter 4, verse 1. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the the example you have in us for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you say a word of prayer with me? Father, this word that you have inspired, we ask that you would now implant into our hearts, our souls, our minds, that you would in fact by your Holy Spirit convince our hearts, convict our hearts, Conform our hearts that we might leave this building today having experienced the real and living God and having been by the miraculous power of your spirit made to look a bit more like your glorious son. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Stand firm. Uh, That's the title of my message because that's the thrust of this passage. That's how uh, expository preaching works after all, as you are aware. If we glance at chapter 4, verse 1, you know, Paul once again tells the Philippians how he loves them and longs for them as he awaits trial under house arrest in Rome. He expresses what he has many a time. They are a joy to him and, here's a new illustration, they are like a victor's crown of ivy at the finish line of a Roman foot race. But Paul, being keenly aware of the many dangers that threaten the spiritual health and unity of the Philippian church, Paul caps off all the the warnings and the imperatives that we have read through chapter 3 by writing, so therefore, in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, stand firm. Stand firm. And what a succinct and necessary word for us today. For those of us followers of Christ who are facing challenges and temptations inside the church and outside the church, yes, but especially what a succinct and necessary word of warning for those of us who are currently sailing on what feels like smooth water. There's no present conflicts at the moment. 
No perceived threats at the moment, kind of like a greenhorn coming onto a, a shipping or a fishing vessel in deadliest catch. Even when the water is calm, watch him. Stay alert. A driving instructor once told me that most motor collisions happen on the streets we're most familiar with. When no threats are perceived, when we know where we're at, when we let down our alertness, that's when tragic collisions occur. And so, we need to hear Paul's urgent warning, stand firm, and we need to understand that that warning is especially fitting for those of us who may be in a season where our alertness and vigilance is relaxed. Like a new king crab fisherman who fatally lets his guard down. Stand firm is the message, but it begs two questions. How are we to stand firm and really why? I mean, why? Even when we feel like we're sailing in pretty smooth water and we're standing pretty firmly, well, Paul actually answers those two questions. And for the remainder of our time, that will be my outline through verses 17 through 21. We're going to look at how we are to stand firm. And then we are going to look at why we are to stand firm. Let's begin with number one and let's let God's word speak. Verse 17, brothers... And sisters is appropriate given the context and the Greek word here. So we might say, brothers and sisters, imitate my example and imitate those around you who share our example. And of course, that example is the example of Christ. Once again, not to beat the illustration like a dead horse here, but kind of like a seasoned fisherman, Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, here's how. You can stand firm when the waves get turbulent and obstacles and temptations arise. Imitate what you've seen in me. Do as I have told you, yes, but also do as I have done before your very eyes. You've seen it. And imitate what you see in other mature believers, such as... Timothy and Epaphroditus, you know, I'm going to be sending them soon. So when they arrive, imitate them. Or maybe if we remember back to Acts chapter 16, maybe Lydia, the, the godly Philippian merchant of purple goods. Or maybe the Philippian jailer who trusted Christ in Acts 16. Imitate me and imitate what you see in other mature believers. It's how to stand firm according to this passage. And so what we, we can't overlook something here. I preach about this somewhat often. The, look at the life-on-life life implication of verse 17. We've got to understand the necessity of being in community with other believers whose lives are worth imitating. We must understand that Discipling others, helping others to follow Christ is so much more than verbal lessons in a, in a gym, in a classroom, cafe, in a coffee shop, or even a live stream, which is becoming all the rage these days. 
Look, we can tell others how to live a life that stands firm in the gospel, and that is important. But will we invest the necessary time to show them? So far in this letter, Paul has told the Philippians to put the needs of others before their own, to stop grumbling and complaining about each other, to pour their lives out for the advancement of the gospel. But what we have to understand, Paul is not telling them to do anything that he hasn't already shown them. That's why he can say, imitate me. Do as you've seen me do. Stand firm. Growing up, I just made eye contact with my parents, so this will be fun. But growing up, when my dad and mom would repent in front of me, when I got to watch them repent to one another and to me, it brought full circle what they were always instructing me to do. I got to see it. And so now, in turn, here's a moment of truth there, Lawson kids in the front. When I have the opportunity to repent, or when mom has the opportunity to repent, it should bring full circle what mom and I are always telling you to do, right? <laughs> Imitate me. Now, as an elder pastor in this church, I'm tasked with much more than just getting up here and telling you information. We, we all are. I'll trace this out in a minute. I'm tasked with showing you transformation, not just telling you information. God help me. <laughs> and I'm not alone. When a church is healthy as it ought to be, it's elder pastors, it's deacons, its community group leaders, its husbands, its wives ought to be able to say, all right, so you want to stand firm in Christ through the stormy sea of life? Do as you hear me say and do as you see me do. The question for each of us this morning is, of course, twofold then. It goes both ways. Who's who's Christ-like life are you imitating? Who's a specific individual that you think of? And, and is your Christian life even worth imitating? I once asked a retired pastor in his 70s how he maintains such a settled and steady spiritual disposition. I was enamored by that. He, he was just collected and content and confident. And he answered me. I asked him how, how, how? He said, of course, I'm in, I'm in the word every day. Of course, I'm, I'm speaking with God and listening to him. But then he said that he also watches the other four guys in his gospel posse. And he does what they do. And three of those four guys are younger than him. I watch the guys in my gospel posse and I do what they do. A guy in his 70s, retired from full-on ministry, had all the theological answers that still imitating still watching. How are you so firm? 
Well, I commune with God and then I watch and I do as I see my brothers do in my gospel posse. First of all, uh, we're changing the name to gospel posse. Uh, <laughs> either that or I'm going to start like a punk rock band this weekend called gospel posse. I don't know. It, something's going to happen with that name. Uh, I love that. Okay, now let me ask, who comes to your mind? Think right now. God, give us thoughts. Who comes to your mind when you think of a devotion to and a dependence on God? Who comes to your mind when you think of a man who leads by sacrificial love his wife well? Who comes to your mind, ladies, when you think of a woman who submissively loves her husband well? Who comes to your mind when you think of the integrity? No matter who they're around, they think and they speak and they act like Christ, no matter who's around. Who comes to your mind when you think of kingdom generosity? They are constantly leveraging their time, their home, their talents, their treasures and money. They're constantly leveraging it for the good and well-being of others. Who comes to your mind? And the next question is, actually, I'll make it a statement. You'd be an absolute fool not to ask him or her to be your gospel posse. Because that is, in fact, one of the, one of the ways Scripture and God gives us that we are to stand firm. We're to hang out with the people who are firm. Maybe we don't realize how much the Christian life resembles the deadliest catch. Even when we think that the water is still, we can't see tomorrow, not even guaranteed the next moment. Standing firm is a matter of life and death. I don't think I'm looking too into the text to say that. Number two, why we are to stand firm. Because many, for many, verse 18, many of whom I've often told you, look at the emotion here, and I now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Notice the deep emotion. Paul's heart is broken, and the brokenness of his heart should reveal that these enemies he's speaking of are not the violent persecutors of the Christian church at this time, though they too are certainly considered enemies of Christ. It needs to be understood here that the enemies Paul is speaking of are those like the man I gave an illustration about last week, those who may have been baptized as children. Okay? So what? Those who may be claiming to believe in God. Those who may attend church from time to time. I can think of two holidays where that's really important. Those who may even be serving as leaders in other churches. Sweet mercy. And even, and even this church, watch me. Keep your eye on me. Paul is tearful because despite all of those religious gestures, the greater pattern of the lives of these enemies of the cross of Christ reveals a heartbreaking reality. What does it reveal? Second part of verse 19, 19b, it reveals that their God is their belly. That, that is, what they ultimately worship and serve is their own appetites and agendas. Is the appetite and agenda of Christ 
master of your life. Verse 19c, they glory in what is shameful. That is, listen to this, they regularly participate and even boast in the kinds of things that offend God and should be avoided at all cost. Verse 19d, their minds are clearly set on earthly things. It doesn't matter what they claim. And the proof of their minds being set on earthly things, look at their bank statements. Look at their internet history. The proof is written on their calendars and the way they use time. The proof is in the absolute lack of spirit-enabled self-mastery when it comes to food, alcohol, laziness, lustfulness, and material wealth. These are enemies of the cross of Christ. Drink that for a second. Jesus. Enemies of the cross of Christ, we need to be arrested by the sobriety of this here. Enemies of the cross of Christ needn't even be ardent opposers of Christ. They simply need to live in such a way that reveals the substitutionary atonement of Christ isn't the biggest boast going on in their life. Jeez. Save us. Enemies of the cross of Christ simply need to live in such a way that avoids the sufferings of the cross and taking up our own crosses. Jesus, save me. Enemies of the cross of Christ might very well masquerade as followers of Christ, but when push comes to shove, the day-to-day rhythm of their life reveals that they essentially live as they please. Some time ago, my wife and I were reading posts on social media. We do that every now and then. And someone we know well, not here, texted or tweeted this, follow your heart. And while you're at it, follow Jesus. Now, I'm going to offer a public service announcement really quick. That is how not to stand firm. That is, in fact... Verse 19a, the end of that road, look at where it leads. It's destruction. Y'all's heart is wicked, maybe almost as wicked as mine. The end of that road is forever separation from God. The end of that road is coming face to face with the real and living Christ on the last day and saying to him, Lord, Lord, look at all the things that I did. Well, I was following my heart in you at the same time. And do you want to know, you've heard it before, what he will say. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I never really knew you. Sweet mercy. And it's really good for us to be sobered by these verses, okay? I'm not trying to... We're not heaping up condemnation that isn't ours in Christ. It's necessary. It's good that we be sobered up. It's also good for us to be reawakened 
to the importance of vigilantly standing firm by watching and imitating those who are watching and imitating Christ. It's a big deal. And in closing, it is also good for us to be reinvigorated by the wonder of what is coming for those who stand firm as citizens of heaven, verses 20 and 21. Citizens of heaven will stand firm through the stormy seas of internal and external conflict because we are in God's word and we are imitating those who live in it. We will prevail through the minefield of disagreements within the church. We will prevail through the world's disdain of our godly ethics on marriage and gender and sexuality. Citizens of heaven will stand firm through all the legalistic temptations to earn our way into God's favor because our minds are fixed on God's word, our eyes are fixed on those who live it, and we will not bend a knee to any gospel counterfeits. If any of you confesses with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the risen Lord, then right now where you sit, by grace through faith, you are clothed in his righteous perfection. And as our heavenly Father, looks down right now he sees us accepted beloved and held it's not going anywhere citizens of heaven will stand firm through the legalistic temptations to earn our way into God's favor but hear the back end of that citizens of heaven will also stand firm through the licentious temptations to glide through life the Christian life as if we're not privileged with growing up into the righteousness that we've been clothed in. If y'all are just lazy with fighting sin, shame, and say it back. If y'all are just lazy with searching this out, wringing it dry of what's, whatever is in here for me to obey, I want to obey because it's to my joy and the pleasures of God are forevermore at his right hand. And citizens of heaven will stand firm even through the constant seduction of American comfort and privilege. And I need to say this, I need to say this. I love this country. I am so grateful to live here. I am so thankful for the liberties that have been passed down to me through generations of sacrificial men and women. But I am in Christ. And if you are too, America is not your hope, nor is it your ultimate home. We are citizens of another kingdom, a real kingdom. A real kingdom that is ruled by a real savior king who is soon to arrive with real power, verses 20 and 21. All creatures, every, every beating heart, whether followers of Christ or not, every creature will bow in adoration to the real king because all things are subject to him. But those who reject Christ in this life will bow before him before being dismissed into everlasting separation from him. And those of us who receive Christ in this life will bow to him on our way to having our bodies glorified as Christ. That is real flesh and bone that eats, drinks, sleeps, walks all the nine yards. 
He touched, he talked, all that stuff, but it's gonna be glorious and eternal and forever. A real king is coming to establish, no, uh, consummate an already inaugurated kingdom with real power and real glorified bodies are gonna be given. So y'all, let's stand firm. Let's repent where we need. Let's trust where we need. Let's take the next step where we need. But my goodness, talking to another pastor this week, it is a shared uh, sadness, even in my own life, how not saturated in a gospel posse I often am. And then I wonder why I flounder. And then I wonder why, why, why aren't I transforming more into the likeness of Christ? That's because for so many of us, yeah, we barely give the permission, ask me the hard questions and be my gospel posse mate. And we're gonna stand firm together and I'm gonna watch you and I'm gonna imitate you as we watch and imitate what we see in the word, yeah? Church, stand firm because the Christian life is a lot like deadliest catch. Let's stand firm because there is a very real, wonderful future that is soon to come. The real king is coming. He's coming. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Glory, glory, hallelujah. I am so often not nearly as excited, Lord, for your return, and I'm sorry. I think it's because I, I don't know, I guess maybe I embrace some sort of Stockholm syndrome and I, I am just too comfortable here. But Lord, that isn't a way to stand firm. And I think my brothers and sisters here know that with me, and so what we would ask is that you would use your word to awaken us by your spirit to the life that you are calling us to live, one striving after, carrying up our crosses, striving after all of the goodness and joy and promises that are alive in your, your word, that we're, we're to go and obey it, and we're to surround ourselves with people who are doing so. We will stand firm because of your grace and we thank you for it, but let us walk in it and stand firm today. We thank you, God, for, we just thank, we thank you for your word. And thank you for any grace that you've given, Lord, that helps us to even get a glimpse of understanding what your word means and what it's saying to our hearts today. We love you because you love us and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.